The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. After uh, four weeks of working our way through the story of Jacob deceiving Isaac so as to take the blessing intended for Esau, with Esau now vowing to kill Jacob once their father has died, and something they that's something they expect uh, not too far away. So we return to the story this morning with Jacob is on the run. Uh, at the suggestion of his mother Rebecca and under the instruction of his father Isaac, uh, Jacob is going to head north to Padanaram, to Rebecca's family, to Abraham's family, and there he inspects to find a wife. And so we now pick up the story in verse 10. Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth and its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Back in Genesis 28.5, uh, Isaac had sent Jacob on his way. And then the following verses, verses 6 to 9, we saw that uh, thinking going through in, in Esau's mind, leading up to the point in which he married one of Ishmael's daughters. But as we come back to verse 10, we're now back on the day of Jacob's departure. Some suggest that immediately that Isaac had told Jacob to go up north, uh, that uh, Jacob left town that day, but I don't find anything in the text to suggest that it was that immediate. There would clearly be a sense of urgency. His brother was threatening to kill him, but his brother wasn't threatening to kill him for a little while until after his father had died. And so urgently and instantly are not exactly the same thing. There was an urgency, but not an instancy. Instantly he would have dropped everything and left town. But Esau's threat was that I will kill him once father has passed away. That gave some time to prepare for the journey. Unless, of course, there was still an urgency because if Isaac died, even more suddenly than expected, then the opportunity for Esau to act out his revenge... Or maybe Esau's anger would continue to boil away and he would just step forward anyway and say, forget about waiting to my dad. And so I believe there was an urgency in the departure, even if it wasn't the same day. In fact, I think it wasn't the same day. I think it gave him time to think what he was going to do, put some things together. And I imagine him waking up early, before the sun rises, uh, gathering a few things, getting out of town before Esau realises that he's actually leaving, wanting to make as much progress on that first day in the heat of the day and in the desert, before the heat of the day, then he's leaving from a desert place, and wanting to put as much distance between himself and his brother Esau on that day. Up until this point, we've had two blessings that have been proclaimed. There was a blessing that uh, Jacob stole. May God give you the heavens due and earth's richness, the abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you, peoples bow before you. 
Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. That's the, that's the blessing that he stole. And now that he's about to leave town, his father has given him another blessing as he is sent away. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful. Increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants a blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possessions of the lands where you now reside as a foreigner, the land that God gave to Abraham. He has been given blessings for provision for people, for prosperity and for property. And here he is on his first night heading north and he's all alone. Far from home, far from those he loves and with only the things that he can carry. When God has spoken blessing on your life, don't expect it to fall on your lap. On that journey, God not only wants you to give, not only wants to give you some things, far more importantly, he wants to teach you some things. God is far more interested in who you are than in what you have or what you do. Jacob is to become the father of 12 sons, each one who will become the patriarch, the father of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But right now he is self-centered, deceitful, and easily led or misled. And he's alone on the run. God clearly has some work to do. As the sun begins to set, Jacob has covered about 65 kilometers. And finding a place to rest for the night, he takes a stone as a pillow and lies down to sleep. I'd have to be pretty tired to sleep with a stone for a pillow. As he sleeps, he has a dream and he sees a stairway, the base resting on the ground nearby and the stairs stretching up into heaven. You know, dreams are really strange things. Some are especially strange. Certainly my dreams are strange, confusing and very random. But some dreams are different. Last week I mentioned the many Muslims in Gaza who are having Jesus appear to them in dreams. And I read a little bit more this week, saw another posting, and apparently there's a, an underground mission, Christian missions group operating in Gaza, helping particularly men who have lost their families to, to get out to safety. And as they do that, they're praying for them and opening the Bible with them, reading the Bible to them. And it was that group who that next night had 200 men, at least 200 men, who saw Jesus appear to them in a dream. God continues to speak to people in dreams and not just to Muslims. And on this occasion, the dream of Jacob is vivid and real and life-changing. Many, when reading this report, note the significance that the angels are ascending and descending. We often think of angels as being mainly in heaven and coming down to earth on assignment. But the picture of these angels at least is that they're actually on earth and going back as needed to heaven. Their starting point is on the earth. 
The only other time this imagery appears in the Bible is in John chapter 1, verse 51, where Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In Hebrews 1.14 we find the rhetorical question, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? It says all which means if they're serving those who are to inherit salvation, that's not a job they're doing in heaven. That is a job they're going to do here on earth. I believe we'd be wrong to focus our attention, as some do, on the angels, because they're created beings and we're repeatedly told not to worship them. But I think our faith is poorer if we ignore their reality and presence in our world today. In Hebrews, the writer says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitalities to angels without knowing it. So much could be said, and so many stories could be shared about the presence of angels in our world today. But for now, we return to Jacob's dream and the stairway with angels ascending and descending. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are living. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. And will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to the land, to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Jacob has received this blessing from his father Isaac, but now he receives this blessing directly from God himself. The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac now gives this promise to Jacob. His descendants will be like the dust of the earth. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And then there's that return to the land and the promise of God's presence wherever you go. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Earlier in our service, we sang the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. That's the song that came to my mind as I was preparing my message, and I had a quick look in the order of service, and there it was. Michael had already put it in, number two. Without request. It's been said that we want to be a church that's centred on the word of God. And that is absolutely true. And by that usually we mean on the written word of God, the Bible. But my prayer is that we would also be a church centred on Jesus, the living word of God. Not just a historical Jesus, although he is that. Not just the Jesus that is the centre of... Uh, 
list of belief statements. But I want this church to be centered on the living, life-changing presence of God. The presence of Jesus. In Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Not just a theological idea, but Jesus as an experienced reality. There are churches up and down this country who will meet today with an expectation that they'll read from the Bible and that they will agree together to believe what is written. But as I sit here at the beginning of almost every service, and sometimes as I sit here before the service, I'm saying, God, unless you turn up today, unless you turn up today, this is kind of pointless. Now, it's not pointless. We can encourage one another in all sorts of ways, but unless God is present, unless our relationships, our, our worship is centred on him, because when it is, we'll go, and I've had those Sundays, surely the Lord was in this place. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I want people to come and to say they came into this place and they encountered God. Not that they learned about God. Not that they gained more information about God, but they met with God in this place. And so that's the experience in this place, in this setting where Jacob is spending the night. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he'd placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, that I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So Jacob takes a stone on which he'd rested his head that night, and he stands it up as a permanent reminder, as a monument, a testimony, to this was the place where I met with God. And the name of the place is Beth-El. El is the name for God. Beth-El, the house of God. Jacob has another 630 kilometres thereabouts, to take before he arrives in Padan Aram. And it'll be 20 years before he passes back this way. But this moment is life-changing. God has promised to be with him, a companion, a provider, and a protector. And Jacob then makes a promise, a vow, that if God is faithful, if God does provide, if God does protect, Jacob says, if God is faithful and does all he has promised, then I will honour him by giving a tenth. 
you know, we give to God in acknowledgement of his faithfulness, his promises, his provision, his protection. You can't read about giving a tenth and not think about tithing. You know, someone said to me recently, do you preach on tithing? And I said, only when it comes up in the book. And this is the second time it's come up in the book. You remember Melchizedek came out to meet Abraham and he came out and he brought out bread and wine to celebrate Abraham's victory. And Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek, the priest of the God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. I believe we misunderstand or misrepresent the giving of a tenth, the giving of a tithe to our own cost. There's lots of teaching or lack of teaching or what I would call often misteaching in both directions around the giving of a tithe. Some say the tithe has no application in the New Testament because we're under grace, not under law. But Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin. Or your cumin, Tisha. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. One of the things my mum and dad taught me was that the first tenth of everything we get belongs to the Lord. And I can still remember, talk about training up a child in the way they should go, I can still remember as an 11-year-old, my mum and dad, my mum particularly would do the cash book and it would be all printed out neatly and she'd get me to come over and she said, have a look, this is how we do our budget. And you see the first column is our tithe. My mum and dad never had a lot, but they always, my dad would say, they always had enough. And only once in my life have I failed to tithe, did we fail to tithe, I had a job, I was selling life insurance, we had a bad run and we stopped tithing. And our finances got worse and worse until we came back to the basic principle. But we should not become legalistic about giving of a tithe. Because I think this New Testament preaches something well above legalism. And we should not oversimplify the teaching, but neither should we ignore the teaching. For all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for rebuke and correcting and training. In Malachi, told, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And I will prevent the best pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And as I read that, I think of God's promise to Jacob of provision and protection. And God promises us provision and protection. I will be your provider. I will be your protector. 
Now, if you've got questions about tithing, because I'm not going to go in the whole thing today, and I think the problem we do with tithing is we make it one small statement and we make it very legalistic. But I've got a Bible study series here. I've taught this over the years. It's designed to be used in a discovery format, but you can take it home, read it, just read. But you'll get a holistic understanding of what the Bible has to say about money. And if you think money is a problem, understand, I think they say that Jesus spoke more about money than he spoke about prayer. It's a scary thought for those of us who don't like to talk about money in church. But you see, for me, the principles of our finances are actually the principles of discipleship. See, Jesus put it this way. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's not about the money. It is all about your heart. And those principles outlined there are principles of discipleship. That money just simply makes it easy to understand where it's coming from and where it's going to. Have I just messed up my message? You see, a moment ago, it was surely God is in this place. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. And the next minute it's like, don't forget to give a tenth. But you see, the problem being is when I read the passage, that's not my transition. That's not my transition. That was Jacob's transition. As he's lying there and all he can afford for a pillow is a rock. But he sees God and everything changes. It's not just the words God has spoken because the promised blessing he had received that through his father. But it's this vision of angels ascending and descending and God at the top of the stairway bringing this promise. I will be with you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will be presence with you. The New Testament sets a standard for our response to the presence and the promises of God. And it's not a tithe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, we're told, you are not your own. You were brought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies, with everything you are. And then in Romans 12, we've used this verse so often. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of service or your true and proper worship, depending on your translation. You see, when, when you actually meet God, and Ashley's illustration was perfect earlier, about the gold. Because it's not about one encounter with God, but every time you encounter God, he does something new and fresh in your life. And that's why I don't want a church that we come together and we sing some nice songs and we have some nice Bible readings and we go home, I've learnt something this morning. 
I want a church where we come together and every Sunday we encounter God afresh. Through the worship, through the prayer, through the reading of the word, through our interaction with one another. And something of that encounter challenges us and reminds us that God is present. And he is my provider. He is my protector. And what can I do but give him all that I am? See, again, my dad didn't tell me about the 10%. He said, it's not a, tithing's not about 10%. It's the fact that God lets you keep the other 90. It's all his. It all belongs to him. Therefore, I pray that we would encounter him, that we might learn to give him all that we are. Because this community doesn't need a church that knows how to give 10%. This world will be changed when we have a church of people who know that they've given God everything. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.